This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. It's a Monday, or you could be listening to this on a Tuesday as well. Uh, Oregon is coming off their ninth game of the football season. They have a bye week this week, so our podcast schedule will be a little bit different. Uh, but before we dive into the show, I want to remind you guys, you can go and subscribe to DuckTerritory.com today. Do a seven-day free trial. And with that, you get CBS All Access for free by subscribing to us. So you get access to the CBS streaming platform They've got 10,000-plus shows, live TV, sports, commercial-free. Uh, as the world is shifting towards streaming, CBS has created a really good platform for you, uh, and you get that service for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. So I highly encourage you guys to go try that out. You're literally just wasting money if you don't do that and you use uh, both – if you use CBS All Access. Uh, Eric, let's dive into this one now, though. 56-24, Oregon victory. Ducks improved to 8-1 and on the season. Eight straight wins, 6-0 and in conference play. Um, we talked about it on the podcast. I don't think you or I were really expecting a blowout win. I mean, we both picked Oregon to win this football game. But to see this play out in which at one point Oregon scored 56, went on a 56-7 to run. Yeah. Against USC, like that, 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 that's just mind-numbing. I don't know if seeing this play it out, whole like, like that, that's my, my. We were walking out of the stadium, and I just kept saying, "Wow, I, I did not see that coming." Well, and and we should say that those who listened to our podcast last week knew on Friday's show, I was like really having a hard time picking between yeah, or- right. Oregon and USC. I was deliberating up until the end. I eventually picked Oregon to win by two points. Um, and then they went, they won by 32. So yeah, no, I, I was not expecting that. And really I was guarding myself I and mean, I picked Oregon to win this game, but I was really pretty careful. Like, ah, I think it could kind of go either way. I really, maybe 55, 45 Oregon, but I really didn't feel that strongly about it. You know, in terms of games this season, definitely the game I was sort of most cautious, um, in predicting, uh, probably along with maybe the Auburn game earlier in the year, but like genuinely didn't, didn't necessarily think Oregon was was going to win the game and, and certainly didn't expect it to be a game that played out the way it played out. And, and it, the way it started, I kind of felt like, yeah, I, I saw this coming because, you know, Oregon allows USC, and we shouldn't say allows because USC, I think, had it was a 16-play drive. But USC had to convert three or four third downs. They come down the field, and suddenly it's 7 nothing. Oregon doesn't do anything on its first drive or its second drive, throws a pick. Uh, USC kicks a, a field goal. It's ten nothing, and you're and, and then you're going like, oh boy, this could kind of go the wrong way in a hurry. Oregon scores another touchdown. It's ten. Oregon scores its first touchdown on a Herbert run. It's ten seven. USC drives it all the way down to the three yard line, and at that point, it really does feel like this is going to be a back and forth game. But really, I felt like that was the turning point. Was Brady Breeze recovers that fumble. Oregon scores. Uh, they score again on a pick six. 
suddenly Oregon is, is up by a couple of touchdowns, and then the McHale Wright touchdown right before the half. I mean, and then it just sort of spiraled after that. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was shocking. I'm, I'm still like you kind of in awe. I've watched the highlights and, and everything over a number of times and just still, like, this game flipped so quickly. And the fact that Oregon showed a lot of resiliency, I thought, in terms of sticking with it, sticking with it. And then when USC was faced with the tough with the tough situation, I don't want to say they folded, but they certainly didn't show the same month, the same kind of mental makeup of a champion that Oregon did. And Oregon stuck in it, and then really just put it on. And like Christopher said after the game, they started slow, but when they got, you know, when it got going, it really got going. Most impressive thing from this football game for for you, or what what stands out the most? Um, I'll 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 start this with with my take. Um, you mentioned at the slow start and Crystal Ball's comments of how they, they started slow. Um, and look, their three first possessions were terrible. Three plays, negative seven yards, punt. Three plays, five yards, interception. Six plays, 18 yards. They had one first down, I think, uh, and they punted and they had the ball for 19 seconds, I believe, or just over two minutes. Yeah, two, over two minutes. And, you know, first quarter stats, were, were bad. You know, they, they were just not good. They had 16 yards of total offense in, in the first quarter. Um, and then after that, it, it was, you know, yeah, they needed some time to, to adjust and it didn't look good and it was concerning. And then all of a sudden, the most impressive thing is, is they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times possessing the football and all eight times they scored and literally the most imp- the only way that USC could stop Oregon after the first quarter was the game ending. I mean, even even when Oregon put in their their second string and Tyler Shuck came in, they scored touchdowns and moved at ease against a group of USC players that still had starters out there. And I just look at that and and think, wow, this was a this was a game in which literally USC had no way of stopping Oregon once they kind of figured out how to attack the USC defense. And that that was shocking. A lot of credit to Marcus Arroyo probably for for just kind of being able to be flexible and, and make some changes in game because it did seem like Oregon and maybe maybe USC just kind of made a bunch of mistakes and maybe we don't need to give Oregon credit. But I think we should definitely start by saying that Arroyo deserves a ton of credit for just sort of getting everything in line once again they started off really, really slowly. It didn't look like it was going to be going it certainly did not feel like a game in the first quarter that was going to be a blowout one way or the other. If anything, it felt like maybe Oregon would be on the wrong side of it. Um, and so for it to be a game where, yet, like you said, I mean, they, USC just couldn't stop Oregon. They didn't have a chance. And um, a ton of credit there. And my biggest takeaway is how good this defense is at forcing takeaways. Um, you know, I don't know what happens in this game if Oregon doesn't force four uh, turnovers in this game. Those plays were really critical in flipping this game. I mean, the three they had in the first half, to me, really changed the complexion. You know, they had the pick six, they had the fumble recovery. We should start. It starts with Verone McKinley's interception, which uh, sets up, uh, I believe, the first touchdown. Uh, those plays were absolutely critical. And in the second half, you know, they pick up right where they left off in the first on USC's first drive of the second half. Diamante Lenore comes out and picks off Keaton Slovis for the third time. That sets up another touchdown drive and. Suddenly you look up and, and Oregon's up like four touchdowns. So a ton of credit to those guys. You know, you look at the stats in the season. Oregon has forced more interceptions than anyone in the country, and it's and they're they're up by three in that category. They've 17 interceptions all season, 
San Jose State's next with 14. Pretty wild part is 11 different players have at least one interception this year. That's an entire starting defense worth. And we should mention none of those are like defensive linemen. So it's a bunch of backup guys who've got picks this season. Um, you know, Jerome McKinley and Javon Holland each have four interceptions right now. Uh, those are, you know, really impressive ways that those guys have played, especially McKinley recently. I mean, he's, I think, had four interceptions in, what, five games or four games or something like that, dating back to the Colorado game where he had his first two, um, I guess, four games. That's that's really impressive what he's been able to do. We knew what kind of what Javon Holland was capable of, but, again, Oregon is starting to find playmakers in the secondary. And their ability to just cause turnovers, and, and it wasn't just the interceptions, too. We should mention Brady Breeze also picked up a fumble recovery, and he was – Joking after the game that he thought he might have had eyes for the end zone there, but Mace Funa also dove on his, you know, on the back of him to basically bring him down because he said he looked up the field and there was nobody in his way and he was thinking touchdown there. Uh, this would have been an even more special game for, for Brady Breeze had he scored two touchdowns at the Coliseum, but either way, uh, a great job by the secondary uh, of forcing turnovers and again against a really good USC passing attack. And I wrote about it on the site after the game on Saturday and mentioned it also on Saturday. Just a really good job, I thought, by the secondary of slowing down an incredibly talented pass attack. I know they still threw for three touchdowns. They still had guys with some pretty decent stats, but no big plays all game. I think the longest catch is 20 yards. Kept yeah. everything in front of them. Uh, the tackling in the first couple of drives wasn't great, but you watch the rest of the game, and really after that first quarter, Oregon did not miss very many tackles and kept basically everything in front of them, and that's kind of how you have to defend this group. And You tackle in space, and you don't let them make plays after the catch, and I think that's kind of what Oregon did, especially over the last three quarters. Looking at this game and, and just kind of seeing what played out, Juwan Johnson's night was absolutely spectacular for Oregon. And it was a game in which, like, I, I think for the first time I looked at Juwan Johnson's impact at, at, at the receiver position, and Oregon's had good guys at that spot before. And not just this season. I mean, Johnny, I think Johnny Johnson this year has been pretty good. Jacob Breland as a tight end was a, was one of the best players at the, at the, at the national level at that position. You know, previously Oregon's had, you know, some really special receivers. Demetrius Williams, Sammy Parker, Keenan Howery. Um, you go to a more recent times of Jeff Mayo or Josh Huff or, uh, you look at, Braylon Addison, you know, they've had guys at that receiver position show up. Darren Carrington, um, when he w- didn't fall off the rails, you know, they've had guys at that position that were really good. But, and, and I don't want to make too much of one game, but Juwan Johnson in that performance, seven catches, 106 yards, three touchdowns, a long of 37. He scored in every which way. He scored on a slant route, uh, a, a deep slant or, or a skinny post uh, for his first touchdown, and it was a money throw from Herbert. Yep. He, he scored a touchdown on a fade route where he just used his size to just body up and catch the ball you know, going backwards. And then he had another one where he, he caught a pass over the middle and just kind of like a like, – Huge strides glazed away from, from, glided away from the defense. And then once he got into a position where the defense was coming in, he just broke through the tackles because he was so big. He presents a different body type we just have not seen 
at Oregon. Really ever. I mean, I, I can't think of a big time receiver outside of Jason Williams. Yeah. Um, that you literally threw out there and was like, he is just bigger than everybody else and he runs like a speedy back. And you, you have basically the only way to, to, to contain him is to bracket coverage him and just hope that your two DBs can wrap up and tackle him. Uh, he might be the biggest piece of this program or development or matchup or wild card, whatever you want to call it. He might be the, the most impactful player in Oregon's final three games of the regular season, the Pac-12 championship game. And then if they get into the playoff or if they get into a, a, a New Year's six bowl game, he might have the biggest impact on Oregon's chances just because he brings something to the table that Oregon did not have before he got here. Yeah, I posted on Twitter after that second touchdown, which was well, – well, just first off, when was the last time we've seen an Oregon receiver be able to make a play on a fade route like that? I mean, that was not poorly defended at all, and he just – No, it was, it, was great. It, was play, it was played perfectly by the defense. Yeah, I think it was – by the way, I think it was might have been Chris Steele guarding him. I think Chris Steele might have been guarding him on a couple of those touchdowns. Steele had a bad day. In a game in which he committed to Oregon, and I'm sure he wanted to play well, he had a bad day. He got targeted a lot and gave up some touchdowns. And And Justin Herbert – just like you said, that first touchdown pass on, on yeah, whatever route you want to call that, but the, the one, the first one he had, that was a fantastic pass. That fade route, that was money as well. And I posted on Twitter, I just can't think the last time Oregon's had a guy where you're in that situation, you just go, I'm just going to throw it up and he's going to go get yeah. it. And, and Jason Williams is a great comparison in terms of the physical tools. Obviously, not a player. If, if Oregon fans remember him, Fondly, or maybe not fondly, but they remember him. He was nicknamed 50-50 because he wasn't a guy who was all that reliable catching the football. Uh, we know Juwan Johnson had a, a drop on what would have been a touchdown pass. I think it was against Colorado. Um, but we haven't really seen too many issues with that drop so far. And certainly he made some great catches on Saturday. And um, six of his seven catches were for first downs. Obviously three are for touchdowns. It's interesting. In his three years at Penn State, he only had two career touchdowns. He had three in one game. You know, against USC on Saturday, have to be really excited, like you said, about that development. And then you just kind of go back, and I don't know how the selection committee is going to look at injuries in that first game, but if Jawan Johnson, you know, two consecutive weeks against Washington State and now against USC has been a critical part of the passing game. If he finishes the regular season and that game against Utah playing at this kind of level, I wonder if the selection committee can go back and just retroactively go like, hey, they were without their clear number one wide receiver in that game, and the way Micah Pittman's playing, maybe without their third or fourth or whatever you want to say, uh, other best receiver, that has to mean something. I mean, I, I know they say they'll take that into consideration. I hope they would. It was a game where, frankly, if Oregon just has one or two more plays made offensively, that might have been the difference in the game. I mean, they, that, that was a that was a game that was lost on, you know, the last play basically of the entire game, and it was, you know, by the skinnier teeth. Or a play here, a play there might have changed it. Having a Jawan Johnson in that game might have changed it. So, And you're right, in terms of going forward, it's going to be interesting to see, does he just continue to be this big part of the offense? I mean, he had 7 of 21 completions from Justin Herbert, went to Jawan Johnson. It's a third of basically the completed passes went to him. Uh, it's very clear right now that, that Justin Herbert loves what he's getting from Jawan Johnson. And I, I think you have to keep going still. I mean, against Arizona, the following, you know, once they come off bye week, um that's a game where he could have another huge game. Arizona's really, really bad defensively. I mean, we just saw Oregon State give up 56 or score 56 points on them. Uh, I think you have to be really excited by that development, especially because 
we should mention there was a time about a month ago where it was like, is he going to play this season? Like, what's going on? It was, I mean, the back and forth with him being, you know, questionable or game a game time decision or, oh, he's getting close. That felt like we were in, you know, kind of that flux for, you know, five or six games. And to finally have him out there and you see what he can provide, you're going, man, it was really, it's really been worth it that he's available because his value is, frankly, a little bit higher than even I expected. If, if he can play at that high of a level against that kind of competition, man, like that's a, that's a game changer for Oregon, I think. Penalties. I think the only yeah. concern walking out of that, out of the Coliseum that night, uh, was the penalties. Oregon was called 12 times for 157. It felt like half or all of those were personal foul penalties of some regard. Um, total 20 penalties, 249 yards of penalties. Uh, I, I, I think the one that's the issue is that Oregon gave up nine first downs via penalty. Like, that's the concern, right, of USC had 31 first downs and nine of those, so almost a third of their first downs were because Oregon did something that resulted in a first down. I just did a quick search here through the play-by-play, and and maybe I missed one, but I I see three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and four personal foul penalties out of the 12. So that's seven out of 12 are penalties that are basically – you kind of lost your, your focus or you lost control and, and you, you did something kind of silly. Um, and this was a chippy game and you, and you knew this might be. I, I mean, Oregon has no, you know, there's no question that Oregon has a ton of players that know a bunch of these guys, whether they played high school against them, with them, played seven on seven against them, with them. These guys, if, you know, especially these SoCal kids, they know each other really, really well. And the game kind of felt in a weird way, considering these teams haven't played in a couple of years, it felt like a game with kind of some bad blood from basically the beginning. I mean, it, it had a weird feel to it. I don't know if you disagree with that, Matt, but it, it had a weird kind of vibe to it the whole the whole first quarter in particular, and then it really carried over into the second quarter. I thought the second half it kind of slowed down a little bit, partly because Oregon was just really kicking some some butt at that point. But um, certainly something you don't want to see carry over. And, and we should mention it was you know the Washington State game. It was also not a huge strength. Uh, they they were called for quite a few penalties. In that game too, uh, nine for a hundred yards in that game. So now it's now consecutive weeks with over a hundred penalty yards. And I can't remember when I looked at this, if this was after the Cal or after the Colorado game, but Oregon was leading the Pac-12 in penalty yardage not that long ago. And, and, and they did so. And it, and it was impressive how they'd done it. I mean, they, they were averaging like, you know, maybe a pre-snap infraction here, maybe a pass interference call that knowing the way the, the Pac-12 officiates. Might have been a questionable, pack, you know, pass interference call. They weren't averaging too many penalties, and now you look up, and they're currently 11th in the Pac-12 in terms of being the most penalized team. 70.3 yards per game in terms of penalties, and that's a huge shift over about a month here. And I, I don't, I mean, they still won both games that they were penalized at a high rate against Washington State and against USC in consecutive weeks. But you have to be very much cognizant of the fact that that looks like something that. Uh, needs to be worked on. And, and you go to a bye week, and that's probably you couldn't have asked for a better time just from a health perspective, but also of kind of getting this in line and, and working out some issues and, and having some dialogues because it was a handful of guys making the same penalties over and over. Uh, you know, Troy Dye and I, Isaac Slade Matatia and Austin Falio and, well, Nick Pickett gets ejected for a targeting call. I don't think I included that in the personal Or Austin Falio. They both got targeted. They go, yeah. I mean, they both got bounced. <laughs> they both got bounced. So, like, I mean, that was a – I don't think Oregon had a player bounced all season, and they suddenly had two in the first half, 
And Oregon, like I said, it wasn't that long ago, was leading the conference in, as the most as the least penalized team, and now they're almost the most penalized team. And in fact, the most penalized team is USC. So um, <laughs> maybe USC had a little bit of a role in that in terms of just kind of they they're kind of a team that plays a little bit wild, and they kind of had a carried over to Oregon. But man, that's something that I think was kind of disappointing to see. And, and again, when I was doing my my grades story on on Sunday. A lot of really, really good grades, but you couldn't help but kind of dock a thing here, a dock a thing there based upon the fact that so many penalties kept drives kind of moving for USC. I mean, USC probably doesn't score on that second touchdown drive if not for, like, it felt like Oregon just gifted them like 40 yards worth of penalties. So, um, th- that, that has to be something that is discussed uh, in great detail, I'm sure, this, uh, this bye week. All right, let's take a quick break here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, we're back here. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me, as always, recapping Oregon's 56-24 victory over the USC Trojans down in Los Angeles at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. Eric and I were both there to cover the game. Uh, lots and lots of coverage on DuckTerritory.com. We hope you guys at least go and check out the free stuff. Uh, tons of premium stuff also on the site throughout the week. Uh, and we're, we're discussing Oregon's game, obviously. They're now 8-1 and one on the season, 6-0 in conference play. They have, you know, a vice grip on the Pac-12 North that's going to require them to lose all three remaining games, and it's going to require Oregon State to win out, win four straight games, and they've got a, a gauntlet of a schedule. Um, so it's still not mathematically locked up yet, but for the most part, realistically, it probably is. Um yeah. Let's go and look at this game, though, for Oregon. I I think confidence in Oregon going into a big game and winning. Um, I think there was, even going into last week, even seeing how this team played against Washington two weeks ago, even seeing how they played last week against Washington State and coming from behind, I still kind of had a little bit of, oh, well, you know, I think they could win, but let's see what happens type of mentality going into these big football games. You know, I was expecting a tight one. And I think after seeing USC, and look, you have to also understand, this is USC at five and four. They're going to fire Clay Helton. Um, they're going to have a new AD. They're going to have a total regime change in the land of Troy because they've become the, the home of, of the underachievers. You know, they have the fourth best roster in the country and they don't produce. And, and so you have to take, I think, into consideration the team that you're playing is, yeah, they're talented, but they are not playing even close to the level that they should. And so that factors into it a little bit. But I think 
this game really changes my opinion on the, the Oregon program as a whole because I think going in, there was some confidence that, you know, in, in a big game, Oregon would win. There was all, but there would also be a, a, a part of you that would be a little hesitant to say, Oh, I'm not buying in yet that they're going to win the big one. Like they'll beat the teams that they should, but you know, going in and, and, and getting a really big win against a good team, uh, I'm not fully confident. I think that's changed after seeing how they've played the last three weeks. I, I think going into, you know, basically any team in the country now outside of maybe three or four teams, I would say like, yeah, I, I have no problem taking Oregon because they, they have shown me this year's team. They are progressing. They are getting better and they have the toughness, the mental aspect to withstand the, the big game that mentality that comes with it. And they can, they've shown that they can go into two hostile places, USC and Washington. Two of the more talented teams in the conference, the two other top three teams, it's Oregon, USC, and Washington are, are the three most talented teams in the conference, and they've beaten both of them. Uh, one from behind and one they just blasted. So I look at this team and think they have changed my perception of them going into big games because now I feel pretty confident in almost any big game that they play. I think the thing for me is is last year with with the way they played on the road and and, and in some big games at Washington State and at Utah were were big games regardless of how you want to frame them. I, I think the Arizona game probably felt differently, but like I, I I just have no doubt that they're going to at least be up for the challenge and be very competitive. And yeah, I think I think and and win those games, especially with with you know I guess the Pac-12 championship game we'll have to reassess in, a, in about a month here. Uh, Oregon will probably play Utah unless Utah loses again, uh, which could happen, and then, then things get really interesting. But um, that, we should say that's pretty much locked and, and loaded as, as what the game will be. But we've now seen Oregon go into some tough, you know, tough atmospheres and not be afraid of the moment. They didn't start great against either Washington or USC, but they were able to recover, and that's something we didn't see last year. Um, they did recover a little bit against Washington State and Utah, but man, they started off so terrible in those games that they just had way too much road to try to cover to get back in. You're right. This year, something is clearly different. And I don't know. I'd have to really sit and think about the matchups. But, like, yeah, I don't think there's that many teams in the country that if, if Oregon's matched up against them, I'm going, like, yeah, this is this, this there's no shot in this one. Uh, I, I just think they're very talented and they're competitive. And, and mentally, they're just so much better um, than they were previously. Honestly, probably going back to 2014, there's that buy-in and confidence that we haven't seen in a handful of years, and it's really exciting to see. And, and now going into the stretch, you know, the stretch run. Some years going into a stretch run like this, where there's three games left, yeah, coming off a of bye week, you know you're better than the team. Oregon's going to be favored in all three of these games, and they're probably going to be favored against Arizona and Oregon State at home by at least two or three point, touchdowns. And there's going to be 14 to 20 point favorite games, I would guess. And at Arizona State's probably going to be close to 10 points, I would imagine. Um, maybe, 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 maybe that's going to be 14 points. I don't know, but. Oregon's going to be favored in those games, and in past years, you'd probably go, like, there could be a slip-up game. And I know you, you know, and that, that, this is true for Matt, you predicted before the season that Oregon was going to be undefeated at this point in the season, but they were going to lose to Arizona State in a couple weeks. Yep. That was your prediction. I, I'm, 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 I'll get your opinion on this in a second, but, like, I, for me, it's changed a little bit of, like, I don't expect them to slip up because they look so dialed in and focused. Like, that game at USC, when things got difficult, they could have, you know, they could have turned it in, and they, and they could have been, and done honestly what it looked like USC did and kind of waved the white flag. Um, you know, in that game, but they didn't, and they came back and they kept fighting. And I think I just don't see with the way this team fights and the confidence they have and the talent that they have, and honestly, the coaching they have. I think that sometimes gets overlooked. I just don't see them having a game where they 
where they just kind of don't have it and that they kind of quit. I just don't see them losing. I really just don't see them losing to any of these three th- teams. I think the games that they would be susceptible to losing would be, like you said, against these teams that are on par or more talented than them. And the only team they have remaining on the schedule before they get to a postseason play uh, would be against Utah. And that's just going to be a game that I think we're going to continue to talk more and more about um, as these weeks kind of unfold. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you is that this team is, I, I think the bye week comes at a perfect time. Sure does. Um, because Arizona would be a total trap game. I mean, Oregon State just destroyed them. They fired the defensive coordinator. You know, they still have a couple nice pieces, especially on the offensive side of the football. And, you know, so I, I think having a bye week, going through the games that they've got to go through of, of going against Washington and then going against Washington State and then going against USC. You know, that's, that's really hard. Uh, you know, three straight weeks in a row and playing that, you know, that schedule and having to play a fourth game right after that against a team that's got a decent offense. Yeah. I, I could see a slip up happening, but I, so I think, I think the bye week comes at a great time, kind of gets them to, to readjust, recalibrate themselves. Um, and, and at the same time, get healthy. But yeah, you you made a good point about the coaching too. Is I, I I think we've seen this team morph from being a good team to now being an elite team uh, over those last I don't know twelve months or so. You know they they learned some hard lessons last season after beating Washington and then getting stomped at Washington State and then getting stomped at Arizona in two weeks and then thinking that they figured things out and then going to Utah and getting smashed again. Uh, I, I think those three losses have really kind of set the table, if you will, of presenting this team into the manner that they are now, of being able to withstand some adversity, being able to fight through it in the middle of a game, not give up, not panic, and at the same time have the wherewithal to know, hey, that was last week. We've got to recalibrate ourselves and, and get ready for another game because if, if, if we don't, we're going to lose. I think that's been maybe one of the biggest pieces of growth Crystal Ball has had with this program is being able to flush a win and a loss and and being able to withstand all the adversity that comes with you know a season that they're going on right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I just like we've said, I, I just don't see them losing until they face a team as talented or more talented, and honestly, probably a team more talented than them. I think they've already beaten teams that have tech. I mean, I think USC, like we said on paper had more talent and, and Oregon yeah. was able to figure it out. So have to be really encouraged with this game. I, they're, they're, aside from the penalties, very little you can come away from this game being like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a doubter. I think if anybody came into this game kind of questioning, we, you know, Oregon barely beat Washington, Washington State, I would imagine you're going into this bye week as a fan feeling pretty good about kind of what the future holds. And, and, and in terms of just the big picture, boy, if you don't buy into the future that Mario Cristobal is building in Oregon, I, I don't know what you need to see. Real quick, let's play a game. 30 seconds or less. Okay. Oregon makes the playoff or no, or they don't make the playoff, but why? Uh, I'm going to say they do make the playoff because I think it's going to be Oregon and Utah, and I think those teams are going to be like number five and six or six and seven going into that pac championship game, and I think the winner ends up being the team. I think it's almost kind of like a win-in-your-end win kind of thing, and I think Oregon wins that game. I'm with you. I, I, I think Oregon gets into the playoff now. I, I The way that things are setting up, you've got some games, especially this weekend, LSU uh, against Alabama. You've got Penn State against Minnesota. Uh, 
I, I think you you said it perfectly. Utah versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game is setting up in, a, in which it might literally be a win-and-you're-in type mentality. Still need some help, but I think they're yep. going to get it. Uh, and we're going to have to watch how the playoffs unfold. So uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, that's going to – Matt Preem, that's going to do it for us on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you on Mailbag Wednesday. Adios, amigos.